Hi, this is Mike. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing at the Heights Fellowship. We hope you enjoy this message. We know it's not the same thing as being here in person, but we pray that God would move as you listen and as God applies this to your heart. The interesting thing is you think back through your own life and you think back through even the history of Christianity or God's dealing with people in the world. You think of all these things that you hear that God did, whether it's, you know, parting the Red Sea or, you know, the, the cross and, and all of that stuff. All of these are amazing, amazing things. And, and the important thing to remember is God has always been working in every generation, and He's working in our generation. He's working in our time. And sometimes it's hard to look out and go, where? But our job is to just stay close to Him and he makes us a part of what he's doing. And he wants to speak to us. And that's what we've been talking about in this series on hearing God. And, you know, the fact of the matter is God is probably more willing to talk to us than we are to listen. I read a great quote this week by a guy who said, you know, we're actually not free enough in our relationship with God in our own minds, in our hearts at least, to, for him to speak to us in words because we want to have an answer. We demand an answer. We, gotta, we go to God and say, you got, I got to hear from you today. You need to speak to me about this. And we miss all the other things God may be saying. And so the question of this series is, how do you distinguish the voice of God from all the competing voices around you? Let me talk to you about how we develop our hearing as humans. At birth, a baby can hear sharp noises, just sharp, quick noises. But by a month, they can hear more long sounds. For instance, if you turn on the vacuum cleaner in the room or in part of your house, baby can distinguish and, and hears that. At four months, they can distinguish voices. At seven months, they can distinguish voices across a room and on either side of them. At nine months, they can hear very familiar everyday sounds. This is when they begin to kind of babble and, and hum and do some of those tuneful things that they do. And at 12 months, they can recognize and respond to their names, to the name of the baby, and hear familiar words. They begin to recognize those things. What you see is your hearing begins to develop is the point. And just like our hearing develops from birth forward, we also in our spiritual lives have to learn to hear and to distinguish, to understand the voice of God with all the other voices around us. It's a process. And so that's what we've been talking about through this series. The process of learning to hear God kind of goes hand in hand with the process of becoming a disciple, of deepening in our relationship with God. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that the Spirit of the Lord works within us so that we become more and more like Christ, well, part of that becoming more and more like Christ is learning to listen, to hear his voice. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, that my own hear and are listening to my voice. So the question kind of that we've not asked, but it's out there is, how are you hearing? How are you doing in your hearing and responding to the voice of the Lord? Now, the fact of the matter is that sometimes we get hard of hearing. Sometimes our hearing is impaired. Things happen. The hearing experts talk about our physical ears in our world. Those guys that study that say there's basically two types of hearing impairment. One is what's called conductive. Something basically blocks the sound from the outer ear to the inner ear. The second one is sensory neural, which basically says there's something going on inside the inner ear. Maybe it's with the nerves, maybe it's with the receptors, maybe it's with something else going on in there. But that's another type of hearing impairment. Well, just as that happens physically, 
Again, so it happens with us in our relationship with the Lord sometimes. And there are seven things, if you're following along in the online notes, if you don't know that, we have online notes every week, theheightsfellowship.org. You go to resources and it'll be right there. This week's bulletin, they're always in there. But basically there are seven things that impair our ability to be able to hear God. Here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to unpack these very quickly, but wondering thoughts is probably the, the easiest one that we go to. Man, I try to pray and I, you know, my mind wanders and all of a sudden I'm, you know, wondering about the game last night and not talking to, talking to the Lord. You know, that happens to us a, a lot. Or frantic feelings, emotions. We get in a hurry. We presume upon God. Maybe we have a rebellious spirit about something or we're duplicitous in our approach to God about something. Or maybe spiritually we're just not there. Those are the seven things we're going to talk about. And because we ran short of time last time and didn't get to finish, I'm going to move pretty quickly as we move into it this service. The first thing that impairs our hearings is wondering thoughts. Peter Lord, who uh, is kind of a mentor and, and a friend and who wrote a great book actually called Hearing God. He used to go from uh, across the country and speak about this. And we got to hear him multiple times. Really cool guy. Peter says this. He said, you know, who has never had problems with thoughts that wonder. Well, only those people who have never actually tried to pray, right? You'll remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, that night before Jesus is crucified, he brings some of the disciples with him. And he says, hey, stay here and pray. Don't fall into temptation. Be at that. And he goes off to pray and he comes back and they passed out. They're asleep. And just like us, at one of the most critical junctures in all of history, they don't know what's going on, and they pass out, they fall asleep, their thoughts wander, their minds wander. Listen, it happens to all of us from, from, you know, incredible disciples down to you and I. Wondering thoughts are a common occurrence, and basically two things cause our thoughts to wonder. The first is mental distraction, and the second is poor discipline on our part. So how do we deal with that? Over in the book of Colossians, Paul writes this statement. He says, set your mind on things above. And that's the key to understanding how to deal with wandering thoughts in your communication with God. Set your mind on things above, on God things, not things of the earth. That term, set your mind, in the Greek really means to value or set affection on something so that you are mentally disposed to that. Now, maybe you have a team or maybe you check your stocks or, or maybe, you, you know, you have something that you check every day. Some of you guys are getting toward retirement, man. You're, especially in this climate, you're checking your retirement every day to make sure you're still going to get to, right? But you have something that you are mentally disposed toward. It's valuable to you. It's important to you. And so you set your mind on that, whether it's checking the score of the game or whether it's checking your, st your stocks or something else. Maybe you're in love with somebody and you're wanting to see if they hit you back, you know, on, on social media or whatever. That's what he's talking about. Make it valuable. It's Bible speak for don't fixate on what's out there. Focus on what's in here. And what we need to be focusing on are the things of the Lord. All right? So let me give you some tips in regard to dealing with those wandering thoughts and focusing or fixating on things of God, the things of above. The first thing that we need to do is we have to learn to reject the darts, the competing voice of the enemy. Okay, Satan loves to speak all kinds of things into our lives. Now, let me very, very, be very quick to say this. 
If you're a believer, if you have trusted Christ, you have been forgiven and redeemed and eternal life is yours and the Holy Spirit is dwelling within within you, you cannot be possessed by a demon or possessed by the devil. Why? Because the Holy Spirit within you is greater than he who is outside of you. But the devil can tempt you. The devil can make you miserable, oppress you, whatever. And one of the ways he does that is to try to influence our thinking. If one of the internal voices and dialogues you're hearing has to do with guilt, you're being guilted about something, whether it's your fault or not, especially when it's not, maybe something happened to you and somebody's been blaming you and you feel that blame, okay, that's probably not the voice of God. So you reject that. Sometimes it's maybe hopelessness. There's nothing I can do. There's no hope for me. Well, God's a God of hope. He's not a God of hopelessness. That's a word. That's a voice of the enemy. Or maybe it's, I feel trapped. I want to do good, but I can't because of, that's the voice of the enemy. God always will walk you through a situation, even if it's a terrible, difficult situation, even if it's through a fiery furnace. He'll walk you through that. That's the testimony of the Scripture. Maybe it's that you're worthless. All of those kinds of communications, all of them, those are darts of the enemy. And if that's what you're hearing, that's your inner dialogue, that's your thinking, you've got to reject those thoughts and you've got to find, okay, who am I in Christ? First of all, who am I as a human? And secondly, who am I in Christ? And then a second thing is to steal your mind from life's distractions. Right? There's a great verse over in Psalm 4 that talks about that. He says, meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. That term, be still, means to mute the chaos. Have you ever been trying to talk with somebody and there's background music or there's a program on in the background and you just finally either have to turn it off or mute it? You know, one of the great skills, guys, let me talk to you for a minute, that somebody taught me oh, about 20 years ago was, you know what, you, you, have, you, you try to multitask too much and your wife comes in and tries to talk to you and you're trying to watch the game or listen to this or do this and try to converse with her at the same time, it'll never work. The best thing you can do for her and the best thing you can do for you by extension is to mute it. Turn the noise down, turn the volume off, turn it, whatever you have to do, and then turn and focus on your communication with her. Try that and see if it doesn't improve your relationship with her. Well, the same thing with God. You mute those distractions. You mute that chaos. David wrote, meditate on your heart in your bed. I mean, think through God in your bed. Be still and listen to him. How much better would our life be if we actually tried to listen to him? Part of stilling your mind is this. Start by asking God to kind of take over and permeate your thinking with his stuff. How would God react to this? How would God respond to that? There's plenty of instruction and illustration in the Bible about those kinds of things. For instance, Jesus says stuff like turn the other cheek. Jesus says stuff like forgive. There's plenty of opportunity that God has demonstrated, illustrated, and spoken to us about how he would do this. So you're dealing with a situation. Chaos is all around you saying, you could do this, but I feel this way. Say, okay, Lord, help me understand your thinking about this person or this situation in regard to this. 
and then infuse your thinking with God's Word because we know He has spoken through His Word. What does God's Word say about this? And that may send you on a search, and it may take you an hour, it may take you days, it may take you a while to, to kind of filter through all of that, but begin to seek God that way. That's all a part of the process. A third thing then would be to focus on the Holy Spirit indwelling within you. When Peter would do these, these uh, conferences or whatever at churches, one of the things, he had this exercise that he did, he did it the very first time I saw him do it, he did it every other time I saw him do it. And it's, it's really kind of awkward, but he would do this thing and he said, think about something that you really need to know from God, something important. Think about something that you need to know from God. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a prayer time. Everybody's going to bow their head and we're going to pray. You're going to pray to God and you're going to ask God about that thing. And then there would be this prolonged period of silence. Lanelle, you remember how awkward that was? You would sit there and you would think, how long has it been? It'd probably been 15 seconds, felt like 15 minutes, you know? And, and it was just quiet in the room. And finally, he would say, okay, so you asked God to speak to you about this. What did he say? And he didn't speak to everybody in the room immediately. But there were some people that hadn't heard from God in years that would say, I really sense that he said this to me. And obviously you filter that through the scripture. You make sure that it really is the voice of God. Things we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. But it was really cool to just find out how often we've refused to focus on the indwelling Holy Spirit. That is God, the Holy Spirit living inside of you if you're a believer. And he wants to speak to you. So how do you do that? One of the things I do very often is I have something I'm, I'm churning on, I'm chewing on. And at night before I go to bed, I'll ask God about it. I'll ask him to give me discernment, to give me understanding or clarification or whatever. And then I go to sleep and I'll let the Holy Spirit begin to work on me while I'm asleep. It, not, it doesn't happen every time, but very often with great frequency as I get up, do my workout, go do my quiet time, 6.15 every morning. How all of a sudden, there's just a lot more clarity than there was at 11 o'clock the night before. You focus on the Holy Spirit indwelling you and ask him to begin to move. Jeremiah wrote this. He said, some good techniques. Set up road marks. Place guideposts. Direct your way, your mind, to the highway, the way which you went. Don't let all these competing voices detour you and distract you. Focus on those things. Okay, second thing, wondering thoughts. Second thing is frantic feelings or emotions. These are uncontrollable emotions about situations, about people. And this is just a partial list that I've given you on this screen. But you may find this morning that you're really, really angry about a situation or are you're frustrated or you're anxious or you're, you just don't believe God about something or that there's lust in your life or there's hate or bitterness. All of these things are emotions that are within us. And so to understand how you deal with these things that can plug up our ears to God is you understand that these are not things that were imposed upon you from the outside. These things originate within you as a reaction or a response to something else that's happened outside of you. And so one of the ways to help you begin to deal with them, and this would be a great exercise to begin like now, would be take ownership of them. One of the things I love about Christianity in the 21st century that I think was vacant at least for a while in the 20th century, the first part of my life, 
we're much more open to be transparent and talk about some things in the church that we never were before. I mean, there were things when I was growing up you just never talked about. You didn't hear that spoken of among the people of God, and they were very definite problems. You know, and so it was a really refined version of hypocrisy that, that we saw. We don't see that as much, or at least I don't experience that as much in the church anymore as I experienced it back then. And we certainly have our share of hypocrisy and problems. I'm not saying it's gone. I'm just saying we're much more willing to be transparent. And so the encouragement to you guys is take ownership of those, those things. God, I am angry at them about this. I have bad thoughts of them about this. You're capable of it. Own it. Don't try to blame anybody else. Own what you have. Okay, God, I, I've, I've sensed that because of the way my ex, my ex or my parents or my, my old boss or somebody has treated me, Lord, there is a seed of bitterness that's growing in my heart. And I sense it. I just have this slow, long burn about them. Father, I, I know that can't be the heart of Jesus. So help me begin to notice that because once you begin to acknowledge those feelings, those frantic feelings, God will begin to deal with you about them. Gene Guyon said, you know, the only way to conquer your five senses is by some inward recollection or to put it another way, by turning your soul completely inward to your spirit to possess a present God. If the Holy Spirit lives within you, I keep going back to that. He wants to speak to that. It's a part of your journey. And even though you thought you could never be depressed or you could never be bitter or you could never be hateful or lustful or whatever it is, it's there. And once you recognize it, be honest about it and, and turn inward and say, okay, Holy Spirit, help me begin to understand this and deal with this because this root doesn't need to be in my life. And then know this in regard to those, you are not helpless. You are not incapable God can do this. This is what he wrote to Israel years and years ago. Don't be afraid for I'm with you. Don't be dismayed for I am your God and I will strengthen you. I will help you and I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. If you're a believer, you need to understand your destiny is victory. And it happens as you connect and listen to God to let him work through these problems and difficulties that you are, that you are encountering. And so, Take these things and understand this. A couple of, of kind of last little tips about dealing with our emotions. They attack when we're tired. All right? They, they assault us when we are at our weakest moment. And so try to put yourself in a place where you have the ability to be physically fresh as you're dealing with them. Some of those, you, you're going to have to slow down your schedule. You're going to have to reprioritize some things. And then make these things a part of your communication with God. Recognize them and ask God to help you deal with them. Okay, another thing that we deal with that helps us or that impairs us from hearing God is busyness, being in a hurry. A generation ago, some of you guys who read the business books, is what they call the tyranny of the urgent. You got to do it now. You got to do it this way. You got to get on it. We all encounter that. I mean, one of the first things when you say, man, how are you doing? Man, I'm busy. We say it all the time. We're all that way. Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, said, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. Satan loves to speed us up. 
defenses in professional football will tell you one of the things they do to young quarterbacks is they speed up the defense because he can't assimilate all that information at one time and it makes him make mistakes. Well, the devil does. The devil was doing that long before defensive coordinators were doing that. And here's the key. You can never make time for God. Just give that up today. You can't create more time than you have. You all have the same amount of seconds and minutes and hours in a day, period. You can't create more time. But what you can do is you can take time. And that, that's a matter of priority. Here's what we see in the life of Jesus. The Gospels bring this out very regularly. Jesus would often go to some place where he could be alone and pray. I want you to think about what Jesus' daily life at the height of his ministry was like. Now, moms, this is your day, so I want to talk to you for a minute. You know more than anybody else how difficult that is. Everybody is plugging into you and they all need something and most of them need it right now or yesterday, right? Jesus had people at any moment in his ministry, hundreds or thousands of people coming to him. I got to be healed. I need food. I have this need. I need prayer. I got to, you know, something's going on. My daughter's died. You read all those stories and you understand Jesus was just crushed. He couldn't go to a house. Sometimes he would have to stay outside of entire towns because there wasn't room in the town for the crowd that was following him. And sometimes they had to put him in a boat and push the boat back off the, the shore so Jesus could get enough space to begin to address the crowd. All of those are vignettes the scripture talks about in the life of Jesus. Nobody was more busy than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So what was his practice? Often, it said, he would separate himself and go somewhere that he could be alone and pray. He didn't make time. He took time. And so as you deal with busyness and hurriness in your, hurriedness in your life, the counsel of Scripture, the illustration of the Lord himself is, guys, take time. And sometimes you have to be very upfront about that. I'm going to do this. A great story from history is told that back during the Eisenhower administration in the 50s, President Eisenhower called this young, upcoming uh, man of God that was doing, that was, had this incredible ministry across the world. His name was Billy Graham. And President Eisenhower wanted to have a discussion about a decision that needed to made, be made with Billy Graham. And he called Billy Graham, and Billy Graham's uh, administrative assistant intercepted the call, says, yes, Mr. President, let me go tell him. She comes back to the phone and says, Mr. President, he's in a meeting, and he says he will get back with you as soon as he's done with the meeting. Well, President Eisenhower, if you remember, he was a World War II general. He was a man who, when he spoke or requested something, his time frame basically was now. You know, you responded then and quickly. Well, time passes, minutes, hours. I'm not, I don't remember the exact time frame. And Billy Graham calls President Eisenhower back. And Ike, President Eisenhower, was ticked. And he wasn't shy about telling Billy Graham. He expected a little bit uh, more uh, polite response to get right with him. And Billy Graham said, yes, Mr. President, I understand. And I'm so sorry. He said, but I was meeting with my Lord Jesus Christ, and I knew if the President of the United States wanted to talk to me, it had to be very important, so I figured I needed to talk to him first. And President Eisenhower said, very well, carry on. That's somebody taking time in the midst of a harried schedule to be with the Lord, to hear from him. Don't let the urgent dictate your schedule to you. 
Another thing that impairs our hearing is presumption. We presume that because it happened this way, because it was done that way in the past, because this is the way that it usually goes, that this is what's going to happen in this situation. We all do it. Parents, you know from dealing with your kids, they do this to us all the time. Okay, now listen, dad, I know. Bosses, you have your employees do that. Spouses, you do that to one another. We do it all the time. We do it to God too. God, I know what you're going to say, and so I'm just going to talk to God about it. Don't presume upon God. Let me give you an illustration out of Scripture. Joshua chapter 9. God has told Israel, they're under Joshua's leadership, Moses is dead, they've crossed the Jordan River, they've defeated Jericho, they've defeated some towns, and, and they're fighting all the people that were there. And you say, well, that's unfair, why would God kick those out? Because God didn't give them that land, he gave it to Israel. He gave it to, to the descendants of Israel hundreds of years before those people moved there. They were squatting, and they were evil on top of all of that. There wasn't a believer among them. And so God told Joshua and Israel, he said, okay, clear, that, clear the land, clear the slate. You're supposed to go in there and, and clean up in there. Well, the people that live there see victory after victory after victory, and they get scared. I'm trying to shorten the stories. So you read about it. There was a town called Gibeon, and they, they said, we can't beat them. We can't defeat them militarily. The only way is we can trick them. And so what they did, they got together and they said, okay, we're going to send some people out to talk to them and make a deal with them. But here's the deal. We're going to look like we traveled from a long distance away. And so they got wore out clothes. They got wore out donkeys. They got wore They looked like people that had been on the road for months and months and months. And they approached Joshua and the, and the, the elders of Israel. And they come, they say, look at our food, look at our stuff. Our bread's moldy, our clothes are worn out, our, our beasts are broken down, you know, our car's broken down, it's got a lot of miles on it. We, we've heard about the fame of the Lord, and we want to come, and we want to be a part of what you're doing. So, so let us be a part, make a deal with us. So I'm, I've cut out a couple of slides here for you, but look in Joshua 9, 14, what happens. So the men of Israel looked at their provisions and they did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. You know what Israel did? You know what Joshua did? They presumed. They took it for granted. They make the deal. They can't go back on their word, be honorable men. Finds out, he found out within a couple of days, these guys were their neighbors. They lived right around the corner. They tricked them. They can't go back on their word. They can't go back on their deal. And so they lived among Israel for the rest of their time. It wasn't the only time that it happened. Two chapters before in Joshua chapter 7. And what I'm showing you is Joshua, who's one of the great military leaders, one of the great administrators in the Bible, had a habit of making this mistake. So if you make the mistake, you're in good company. How do you avoid the mistake? Well, you don't presume. Israel was supposed to go fight a little village called Ai. The traditional spelling, it's spelled Ai. They go to fight these guys. And they said, listen, this is a nothing town. We can beat them with one hand tied behind our back. Only send a, you know, a couple of, of, of companies out there and we'll handle them. Well, they get, they get routed. And it says that they go to God and they say, what went wrong? And they're paralyzed with fear. They presumed that just because it always happened this way, it would always happen that way. 
there are several ways we presume. The first is we say, you know what? I've got enough strength to do this. That's Joshua chapter 7. Or they say, you know what? From what I can see, it looks okay. That's Joshua chapter 9. They, they look back to the past and said, God has always given us victory. He has always done it this way. That's their history. You know what? We do the same thing. I can do this myself. God, I got this. Hold my beer. I've done this a thousand times. No worries. I'll have this done in no time. And we don't talk to the Lord about it. In the New Testament, James says, man, we're fools if we say, today I'll do this, tomorrow I'll do that, and we don't talk to the Lord about it. We've got to hear the Lord. Don't presume upon him. Don't presume that just because he did it that way in the past, you think of all the things that God did throughout Scripture, and he's done it a thousand different ways. So he, he saved Israel at one point by a guy wielding the jawbone of a donkey. He spoke to a prophet another time through a donkey, which everybody that knows the ministry says that just proves that God is still doing it. He's speaking through donkeys all over the place on Sunday. But we presume that God is going to do this. We rely on the past. We rely on a lot of things. Listen, there's a statement in the middle of this slide I want you to see. Victorious living as a believer demands that we regularly hear from God. Don't take it for granted. Jesus said it this way. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will produce fruit. The key is not what we did in the past. The key is not presuming upon God. It's saying, okay, God, how do you want me to proceed today, right? Another version of uh, hearing impairment is rebellion. Let me, let me tell you what that is. Rebellion is really pretty simple. It's basically saying, you know what? I know the right thing to do. I know what God said. I know how I'm supposed to respond. I know what my reaction is supposed to be. But you know what, God? I don't like them, so I'm not going to do that. That's flat out rebellion. Psalm 66, 18, David wrote this. He said, you know what? If I regard wickedness in my heart, you know what it means to regard something? That means to give it credibility, to give it street cred and say, that's the way we do things. If I regard it in my heart, the Lord's not going to hear me. I'm not going to have communication with the Lord the way I want. And here's the deal about rebellion. A lot of times we say, well, you've got to go confess your rebellion. You can't confess rebellion. You can agree with God that it is rebellion and repent. That's the way you deal with rebellion. By definition, rebellion says you don't agree with God. You're going to do it your way or some other way. And so if you sense that there's rebellion, if God is, has brought to your mind this morning, especially, you're bitter against somebody. Or God has re, re, kind of reinforced in you in these moments, you know what, you're dealing with a lust issue or a materialism issue in your life. Then your response is, yes, Lord, I agree. And then turn away from that and begin to do things his way. The best example I can think of that comes to mind immediately is, is over in the New Testament. You remember Zacchaeus? He goes up in a tree one day to see Jesus because he knew my life's just not what it should be. Well, he gets saved. He gets down to the bottom of the tree and he realized, you know, I've defrauded people. I've stolen from people. I've done all these things. And he tells Jesus immediately, you know what? I'm going I'm to change the way I'm doing things. He agreed with God and he changed the way he approached the situation. 
if you have rebellion in your life, you agree with God and you turn from that and begin to do things the way God says to approach the situation. Another thing that affects our hearing is what I call duplicity. Duplicity is different from rebellion in that it's, it's not just flat out saying, okay, I know God said this, but I'm going to do it this way. Duplicity is much more insidious. It's much more deceptive because du duplicity basically says, you know what? I can have God and I can have the world. I can have God and I can do it my way altogether. And just so you know, this isn't just an American thing. I've planted churches on several continents. We worked in Korea planting churches. We saw it there. We worked in Europe planting churches in Ukraine and Germany and places like that. We saw it there. We worked in Africa planting churches. We saw it there. We would come and, and present Jesus and share Jesus with these people, and they would try to just add God to something they were already doing. Sometimes it was to their religion. Sometimes they just tried to add God to it. Rather than saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? How should I approach this? What's your direction in regard to this? Duplicity thinks I can have it both ways. It's yes, but theology. Yes, but I can have this too. Let me read you what Jesus said. This is the amplified translation of John 7, 17. If any man desires to do as well, in other words, to do what God wants, his pleasure, he will know he will have the needed illumination to recognize and to tell for himself whether the teaching is from God, whether I'm speaking from myself and my own accord and of my own authority. Jesus says, you got to talk to me about it. Let's discuss. He wants you to approach him about little things and big things. How to handle your kids or your marriage to whether I should buy that car or go into that business. He's interested in all of those things about you. He delights in you. The last thing that kills our hearing is what I call vacant spirituality. Basically, it's simply this. There ain't nothing there. You're familiar with religion, but you don't know the Lord. You can't hear a God you don't have because you've not been born into a relationship with him through Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in John 10? He said, the, the gatekeeper opens the gate to the shepherd and the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and he calls them by name. That's a, a statement of intimacy that he knows those that are his and he leads them out and he puts forth all of his own and he goes before them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. Maybe the reason you don't recognize or know the voice of God is because you don't know him. Now, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to share the truth this is a very real problem sometimes. Doesn't mean you lost your salvation because you can't, but maybe you never had it. Having that kind of relationship with God happens when we hear what God's truth is for real, maybe for the first time. And the truth is all people are sinners by nature and by choice. Okay? That's our natural inclination. We can't fix ourselves. We need a Savior. Jesus came and died on a cross to save us from our sin, to give us eternal life, to forgive us and bring us into relationship with him. And if you've never trusted that, then you've got vacant spirituality. You'll never hear God the way you need to hear God. And so the application for that one or those people is trust Christ. 
That's, we're in the business of bringing people to Jesus to let them hear him. God's character, which is holy, demands that sin be absent from our relationship with him. And that only happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He takes our sin and gives us his life in its place. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, a great paraphrase, it says, how, you say, does he do that? In Christ. God put all the wrong of all mankind for all time on Jesus, who never did anything wrong. So we could be put right with God. If you want to be right with God this morning, that invitation is extended before you, and you can trust Christ. We're going to pray in a minute. We'll give you the opportunity. And so as we wrap up, as we conclude, four things kind of to help us get over our hearing impairment with God. Set your mind on God. Take time to hear God. Find God rather than the opinions of anything else around you, and give God the freedom to answer his way. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. Father, we walked through those seven things very quickly, uh, I know, but Lord, I pray your spirit would take the one or the ones specifically that need to apply to my heart, and he would speak to me about them. He would remind me of them. He would bring them up in my head over and over again as a reminder that we need to deal with this. But Father, there are some who even before that have never trusted you as Savior. Their, their spirit's vacant. The Holy Spirit doesn't live there. So Lord, I pray this would be the morning of salvation. This would be the morning of forgiveness and redemption and victory in their lives. That sin will be dealt with and that life will be present. And so Father, I pray that wherever they are, online or in this room, they would take a moment to say, Jesus, okay, I've never done this. I've never, I've never given, yielded my will to you to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the cross. I believe that it was for me that I need a Savior, that I can't save myself. And that only you can give me the life that I need. So take away my sin and give me eternal life. Take away my guilt and give me forgiveness. Lord, begin to remake me in your image to, to Help me become more and more like you to learn how to hear and recognize your voice to be a part of your fold. Father, for believers in the room, what I pray our desire would be to draw near to you and to have a discussion, a dialogue with you in our lives that these seven things we've talked about would not be hearing impairments for us. Lord, in these days when we definitely and desperately need to hear from you that the church would hear your voice and follow you obediently as we live our lives. So thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for being a part of what God's doing here at the Heights Fellowship. If the Lord led you to make a decision or you have a question or a need, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at the email listed below, info at theheightsfellowship.org. And we will join you in praying as you take a step forward on your journey with God.